0: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen.
1: Lord, bless us as we come to your word. Open it up to our understanding. May we practice it in our lives. May we hide it in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. You see the title this morning, Guard Yourselves from Being Weary and discouraged. Guard yourselves from being weary and discouraged. You notice he says this as in verse three Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted or weary and discouraged. He uses words here that were uh, characteristic of people finishing a race just absolutely spent, but he's using it in the sense of being spent before you even cross the line and urging us to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ so that we don't come to that point where it's not worth it anymore. We don't come to that point where even in our engagement to become more and more holy and more and more like Christ, we basically just give up. Or we have the edge completely taken off of our life in terms of striving to be all that God would call us to be. It's interesting here because growing faint or discouraged assumes that there is a race being run, doesn't it? You don't holler out to the people in the grand say, hey, don't be careful. Don't go too hard at it as you sit there or you'll wear yourself out. But that's said to the people on the ground, running the race. Quite a difference in two people that are completely drenched in their own perspiration, canoeing up a river and a guy that's just drifting and singing as he floats down the river. Kind of like Otis Redding, sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting my time. And for many of us, the idea of being discouraged or weary at our running after Jesus hardly has a context. Because we, we're not really running that race. We're not really hurling ourselves into the race to follow after Christ. And to seek to conform our ways to Him, and to seek to believe in Him more, adore Him more, have more affection for Him week after week, that urgent desire that one has in many other fields of of uh, If one's pre- pre- preparing to be a doctor and how every day is trying to get to that point when finally you're completely prepared and every hour of every day has this goal and everything's contributing to your whole schedule of every day all to that end so that you could be at that position to be a doctor. And so uh, is that our consuming desire to begin with? Are we running that race now that paradoxically, that could be the very indication that we haven't begun to see the treasure and the glory of Jesus Christ, that that's not really won our heart. And so the idea of growing weary is is a little bit beyond where we've even started. To hurl ourselves into this because we've seen the goodness of Christ. We've been amazed that we who have sinned against this God who made us and have ignored him to such an extent would still be loved by this God to such an extent that he would even give his son to die for us. And that so amazed us that it's turned our lives around. It's caused us to give our lives up to his will gladly and joyfully. And so in that process of giving ourselves in response to his love, there's this danger of being weary and discouraged. And we must guard ourselves against that kind of weariness and discouragement. In other words, we must keep our motivation, our energy, our, in fact, our very mission, vision statement is nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people. Realizing what? In fact, as we were talking about the, uh, ex, the expansion of this vision statement in our Sunday school class, the joint Sunday school class, uh, it was mentioned by one person how easy it is to be engaged in good works and just uh, completely burn out in doing those good works. And so we pointed to the very way we put that. We don't put it just that our vision is loving God and loving people. Our vision is nurture a joy for loving God and loving people. We have to be nurtured. We have to be supplied. We have to be enriched. We have to be constantly galvanized and energized by the grace of God in order to give ourselves freely and gladly. Because God doesn't want us to just go through the motions. He wants us to have an internal energy and passion and desire. That's what honors him. Not just going doing it because it's the thing to do, popular or because you're scared you're going to hell or whatever. It's because of your delight in the one who has saved you, your delight in the one who has made you clean through Jesus Christ. So, I'd like to talk about three things uh, that help us, keep us from being discouraged and faint hearted. Three things, hopefully, that will guard you against growing discouraged uh, and weary. First of all, and actually what I'm doing here is trying to summarize, as I think this passage does, this the very one, a lot of the themes of Hebrews as a whole, this, this whole book. So we'll be touching certainly upon this passage, but trying to range through and pick up some of the ideas that are in this, uh, one of the most majestic books in the whole of the New Testament. First of all, and this is pretty plain and upfront, set your heart on your future inheritance. Now that may seem like, yeah, okay, we're waiting for heaven, I know about that. What's the next point? But I'm going to argue that we don't do this very well at all. That is, and I could ask this question, how much... Did heaven affect your Saturday? I'm just going to leave that with you. How much did heaven affect your day yesterday? How much did it affect the way you dealt with your husband or your wife or your children? How much did it affect your battle with anger or lust? How much did it affect how you, what you did with your day? How you spent your time? Did heaven come into play at all? Was it a factor? Is it a factor? The New Testament describes salvation in First Thessalonians as, you turn from God, you turn from idols to the living God to wait for his Son from heaven. Now, that's not that you you know sit around, we're just waiting, of course. But isn't that an interesting description? That the whole of the Christian life could be summarized by this, that you turn from idols to God and to wait for his son. That shows how prominent that is in the life of the believer. That it dominates his thinking, that it infiltrates and affects everything he does everything in one sense is a part of that waiting for Jesus to come and is affected by the knowledge and the joy and the expectation that Jesus is coming. Does that feel foreign? (laughs) Believe me, I've been convicted this week. Now, notice in... These few passages, just to give you a little feel for how much Hebrews talks about this. And bear in mind, if you've not been with us, you may not know that the writer, and we're not sure who wrote this, is writing to, we think, Jewish people, possibly in Rome, who are have been persecuted now for some 20 years and are at the point where they're about to give up. They've already gone through suffering, as we're going to read here in Hebrews 10, and they went through it well and they had their hearts in the right place. But now, as they're facing further suffering, possibly the danger of death itself, possibly Nero, we're not quite sure, but that's one of the best scenarios that they are going to turn or or, are in danger of turning away and saying, hey, it's easier to be a Jew than a Christian because we, the Jews are not being persecuted. The Christians are. I'm going back to Yahweh. Well, the writer is showing, no, you're not going back to Yahweh. You're leaving Yahweh because this is Yahweh's Messiah. And this is it. To abandon Yahweh's Messiah is to abandon Yahweh. And it's to go, as Paul would put it, himself a Jew, himself a Pharisee, himself a zealot says no now we who believe in the messiah jesus are the circumcision and he puts it bluntly those who reject messiah even though they're physically physically circumcised now they are the mutilated you get the point he's making that cutting makes no sense anymore that cutting has no meaning anymore it's simply mutilation if you're going to reject the whole point of that bloody sacrifice was pointing finally to the shed blood of Messiah. So what does it mean anymore? And those who've embraced Messiah, they're the true circumcision. So that's the context here. Driving home to them this essential clinging to Jesus Christ and the thing he keeps setting before them is your future hope, your future inheritance that you have. Don't abandon that. Keep your eyes fixed upon that so that you will endure everything for the sake of that. You'll lose everything if you have to, because your heart is fixed upon what God has promised for you. And that's what he parades before them in chapter 11, the chapter of faith and how over and over they set their heart on the promise of God and lost so much in the process, but had their hearts fixed on what God would promise them. So, he goes back uh, to a former time with them. This is at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. If you've got your Bibles open to 12, you can just back up a little bit. This is actually on page 1007, if you have the pew Bible. You had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And notice, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Your hope, your fixed confidence in what God promises for you. You've already been through that. You suffered well. You joyfully gave up the plundering. How could that be? How, how, how could you not think, look, I've lost everything. My mother's china has gone. Our silverware has gone. The car is gone. Everything's gone that I've worked so hard for. It's just up in smoke. My life is a mess. Joyfully accepted the plundering. Why? Because they knew they had a better possession. And the effect is... Well, okay, I lost everything here, but that's really not what I'm living for. And that really is tiny peanuts compared to what God has for me. So, okay, you want to take it, that's fine. It'd be like my old coin, coin collection. Uh still have trouble with that word. And if I have all these old coins that I've so carefully collected... And, and somebody stole two pennies that I had stuck away in a folder, and you pull them off, and actually they're last year's penny, and they, nothing, nothing lost. That's all. That's, that's the comparison. If you have everything removed, you, they've not even touched your possession. They haven't even touched it. They can't touch it. That's the point. But you see, that has to be real in our hearts. That's what we have to believe about it. That that is my possession. I really believe it. I really believe in the glory of it and the richness of it and the delight of it and all the, the, the fellowship with God and his people, the new heavens and the new earth and my heart is fixed on it. Now you say, well, boy, that really comes to bear in this circumstance. But does it come to bear in every circumstance? Absolutely. You find yourself start giving up rights for the sake of what you have in the future. You find yourself in loss of different kinds. In fact, many times it's the loss of, boy, I didn't mean for my life to turn out quite this way. Or because of my commitments to Christ, I've lost a lot of cultural privilege that I would like to have had. I would like to travel more, but my commitments to the church don't allow that. You can just multiply hundreds and hundreds of things. But for the believer, it's like, you know compared to what god has for me what a glad trade what a happy trade and I'm the one that gains from it that i've left i've i've abandoned some of this world and you know brothers and sisters the sad thing is that uh we don't really we don't really lose much we're not like this these people now maybe one day it'll happen but we find it hard just to forget just to give up comfort, just to forgive up things the way we like them. We have difficulty of just changing our habits toward our loved ones because we just don't want to mess with it. We don't want to change ourselves. We don't want to. And so we don't even suffer. And that's the point he makes here in uh, chapter 12. He says, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood in your fight against sin and you're striving to believe him and follow him, is it causing you to shed your blood? You know, sometimes when guys uh, arm wrestle, some guys are like this. When you wrestle with them, they struggle, they struggle maybe for 10 seconds, and finally they just give up, you know, like this. Other guys, you know, you're pushing them, you're pushing them, and they're all the way down, and you're like, give up, give up, and then suddenly you realize... Your hands are getting weak and they're coming back because they just are spending themselves to try to beat you. You know, you see, that's the feel of this. As your heart is fixed upon the glory of God and the the glory of his inheritance, are you hurling yourself into changing and dealing with sin in your life? He says later in chapter 10 there, you have need of endurance so that, When you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So all as he associates in Hebrews 10 there, the confidence that has great reward. This helps us understand later in chapter 11, verse six, this central verse, as we've talked about it. Verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. Brothers and sisters, Ultimately, that reward, the only reward he ultimately promises you is that you will be with him in heaven. You will be transformed then. You may die today. You may lose everything tomorrow. But he promises that he will conform you to Christ, that he will use you as a witness for Christ, that he will use you to manifest Christ. And that he will, he will not let go of you And the final day. you will When you die, you will go to be with him and then he will raise your body up and you'll be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. That's really the reward as defined in this book. It's not necessarily that things are going to go perfectly well in your life. Now, generally, they go better because the more we love people, the more we fulfill our responsibilities and do the will of God, it works, okay? But it doesn't mean tragedy. It doesn't mean disaster won't strike. It doesn't mean the economy of the world won't completely go under. So, I'm asking you, how much do you believe that if you seek him the whole of your life, that in the end, you will be rewarded with that glory that Jesus Christ has? And that everything, everything is worth giving up. For that glory. Whatever God would call you to do is worth it for that glory. You see, here's the hard thing. We must believe that he's a rewarder. You see, we like to believe that he's a rewarder here and now. In the ways I want him to be a rewarder of me. Let me define the rewarding God Let me define what your part is and must be to make my life work. And then I'll make a deal with you. This word ultimately means. And this is why uh, Jonathan Edwards has a long paragraph. I won't read the whole thing, but he says by every way possible to have all the happiness that is absolutely possible possible. And then the last phrase, in the life to come. And when I first read it, I went, ah, shoot. You know? <laughs> I really did. I mean, I, honestly, it was like, I want to see all this for happiness now, you know. <laughs> but, and he, he, he just has word after word after word about spinning himself and laboring and, and throwing himself in so that I can have the absolute most happiness In the life to come. He understood the reward. He understood that better possession. That abiding one. And that's why in Hebrews 11 it talks about the city that has foundations. That Abraham and the patriarchs patriarchs looked to. Uh, it, It talks about that they had a homeland that they had not gotten to yet. Uh, it says they had a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, that's why God was not ashamed to be called their God, because he's prepared for them a city. Everything was future. Everything was future. And yes, we begin to drink some of that glory even now. And we enjoy the presence of God and conformity to his will. But as to creature comforts. As to our life being everything in that sense that we would like it to be. You'll you'll look and God says, uh, ultimately, to the end that it will promote my glory, to the end that it will conform me to Christ, yes. But I'm holding that with an open hand. It's interesting. This quote by C.S. Lewis, the father speaking of Christ, but then this has applications to us. The father can be well pleased in that son only who adheres to the father when apparently forsaken. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Apparently, to all visibility, forsaken, abandoned, cursed by his father for our sake. And yet, what did he do? Entrusted himself completely, as Peter says. Completely gave himself up into the father's hand and trusted himself. In his goodness, even as he was receiving punishment from his father. The fullest grace can be received by those only who continue to obey during the dryness in which all grace seems to be withheld. And so we believe in the glorious future that God has for us. In chapter 11, how does he put it with Moses? When he was grown up, he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Can you compare that? You're going to be virtually a king in the greatest nation in the world, or you're going to be in the desert with these bunch of people that are going to drive you crazy as they just about did Moses? You know... (laughs) Happiness here, which one am I going to pick? He says, I'm going with the people in the desert. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. But notice, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So if he's looking at treasure versus treasure, here's the treasure. Reproach with Christ. Here's the kicker. It's the part that gets to me where he was looking to the reward. There was a sense in the agony and the pain and the difficulty, even though there were immediate benefits of his fellowship with God, immediate benefits of conformity to God and being used in God's hands, there was a pain and an agony for Moses, like there is in the Christian life. And we need to admit it for each other and for those outside to say, Oh, it gets so hard sometimes. I just don't think I can go on. I get it gets so difficult to uh, see my sin and I don't see myself changing or various ones of us suffer with depressions. We suffer with the pains that have occurred at childhood with diff- different abuses and these agonies. And, and, and now we're seeking to please Christ in that way. We have difficulties with relationships. Sin still clings to us and it's hard. David in Psalm seventy three says, "I look at the the world. I look at the ungodly man, and he doesn't have the cares that I have, because he doesn't care about obeying God. He doesn't have this agony of of am I pleasing to Him and having fellowship with Him and trying to manifest. It's hard to do. It's glorious. I wouldn't pick anything else. There's nothing that holds a candle to it. But you know what the Scriptures teach." If it weren't for the reward, it wouldn't be worth it. I had a guy say to me one time, he was, uh, well, I won't even say what church it was, but he was considering membership in a a, a church. And uh, I'm not, I don't know if he was a believer, really. uh, Because he said, you know, the way I see it, I don't know if, you know, the resurrection, if there is a heaven or not. But to me, that doesn't even matter. If it's not true, it's still worth it because it's the right. It's, it's the good way to live. And I said, you know who would disagree with you? And you all know, some of you know, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. He said, if there's no resurrection. Basically, we're the most pathetic people in the world. We're to be pitied. We're getting ourselves killed every day. We're ruining our bodies as we seek to make Christ known. If there's no resurrection, we're the biggest fools that ever walked the earth. That's how much they are fixed on the future grace to be brought in Jesus Christ. And so Moses was looking to the reward. Our time is up. I just want to leave this with you, and we'll finish this next week. Poor Jacob, you know, I give him a schedule for two months, and he's sitting there already rolling his eyes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> as, as I don't get to the sermon, we push it to the next week. <clears throat> but uh, he's gracious and kind, and I appreciate that. Um, but in... Uh, Earlier in, and and, and hope this will drive this point home for you and for me, it it really affected me this week. Earlier in chapters uh, 3 and 4, the writer deals with Israel in the wilderness. And he talks about, and we all know the story well, of how Israel got to the border of Canaan. And and we're all, you and I are probably alike in the sense that we're sitting there cheering them on. You know, we're saying... Go for it. this land of flowing with milk and honey and you're going to have God and you're going to be the center of all. The, and this is don't go back to Egypt. What are you thinking? Because there they were on the edge. God's promises. They had read of what God did in with Abraham and how he reigned judgment upon cities in Canaan without anybody's help. And here's God, that same God with him, the God of Abraham. Know it now saying I'm going with you. They had seen him. Uh. Part the waters of of the Red Sea. They'd seen him rain calamities down upon Egypt. They'd seen him with the cloud by day and the fire by night. And still, it says in the Psalms, still in spite of those wonders, they couldn't believe his goodness. They couldn't believe that he's the rewarder, you see. They couldn't believe in his salvation. So they said, we're going back to Egypt. Well... What's so uh, scary about this is, as Spurgeon writes, it's an ill sign with the Christian when he begins to think lightly of heaven and heavenly things. It indicates a perverted mind, and it is moreover a high offense to the Lord to despise that which he esteems so highly That he, in infinite love, reserves it for his own chosen. To prefer earthly things to heavenly blessings is to prefer Egypt to Canaan, the house of bondage to the land of promise. Now, we're not talking about enjoying his creation. it's wrong not to enjoy his creation. And even, we'd say, legitimate culture. And I know this is difficult, but when we talk about loving this world, we're talking about that you've made an idol of this world. And this world is really all you're thinking about. And you and I, if if that is the case, then we have turned our back on Canaan. We've turned our back on Canaan and we really want to be in Egypt. So, this is not an option for us to fix our hearts on the final blessing of God. We don't know what energy we could have. We don't know what love could flow forth from our hearts. We don't know how much we might do for God in this world. John Piper has said that he believes that we will not make inroads into the Muslim world apart From thousands and thousands of martyrs for Christ. He said, I believe, I don't believe we're going to make inroads into the Muslim world. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine instead of killing yourself, trying to destroy the enemy, then that enemy comes back and lays down his life for you over and over and over again? And he lays down his life because he believes has a heavenly inheritance and he can give up anything and it doesn't matter for the love of Jesus Christ. Oh, may God make you and me those kinds of people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus in this place and around the world. Let us pray. Lord, we confess to you that our hearts are so fixed on the things around us. And Lord, we know that we must give ourselves to these things. We must, we must take care of this earth, for instance. It is our responsibility that you've given us. We must cultivate the earth. That is our responsibility. We must uh, over, oversee the well-being of this earth and even culture itself under your glory. We, we confess, Lord, that... It's a difficult thing, but Lord, we confess that we make idols of the things around us. We push you to the perimeters of our life, if at all. Your word so often is not central. Prayer and fellowship with you is not the molten core of our life the worship of You and doing all things for Your glory and doing all things with a sense of Your presence and doing all things in the way You've prescribed in Your Word so that all of our life is seen as a way to fulfill Your will. And then to have that wonderful edge and power and energy to be willing to give up everything because we already have everything. We already have heaven. Even, as Steve said, from John MacArthur, we, Lord, already have possession. Our Lord Jesus has already gone there and we belong to him and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Our foot is already in that place. We are called citizens. We are children. It is our inheritance. We're fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. How can it be? But it's true. Lord, may we believe that we are children and not slaves. That we are children who belong to our Father, Daddy. And that He has given us His kingdom. And therefore, we by His grace can be freewheeling in our abundant love. We can be in a certain sense reckless and wholehearted in the adventure of giving ourselves away for Jesus Christ. We literally, literally have nothing to lose. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times. Directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light. Oh, come with blissful. The shades of night and chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away and shall my soul with rapture trace?